Hi, I'm Minka, and you're listening to The Sand Space. We are the first South African climbing podcast, we think. And we're super excited to talk to South African climbers about climbing and also some of the tough stuff. Stick around. We are committed to releasing an episode on the last Wednesday of every month and then possibly a special edition in between. End your month on a high note with us. Welcome to another community episode, a collection of local climbing stories. This is where you, the senders, submit your stories, songs, poems, or however you like to share. If you want to feature in the next one, have a look on our blog at www.thesendspace.org for more information. There are even some basic recording tips if you're maybe a bit unsure. Thank you to everyone who contributed. And please, please send us your expressions. We love to hear them. Hi, SendSpace listeners. Uh, my name is Callie Bishop. I'm a hiker, climber, and you may have seen me around City Rock a few times. Um, so I wanted to share a feeling that I think all climbers can relate to and um, something you can experience at any point in your climbing career. And that is that shared feeling of watching somebody climb on rock for the first time. Um, and this reminded me of this this last weekend. We took some lovely ladies from our Climb Like a Girl group out to climb on rock for the first time. And it just reminded me of that feeling when you see them get scared and nervous and then so relieved and excited when they get to the top and then they're just so psyched and bubbling when they come down to the ground and they can't stop talking about the rock and the moves and just the view and what an incredible feeling it is and sense of accomplishment to get to the top of your first rock climb. And it's not about the grades. It's not about how strong you are and how fit you are. Yeah, it's cool to send your project and push grades, but that feeling of sending your first route and you're just so overwhelmed with all these emotions. And then when you be laying them, you can feel it too, or you're just on the sideline watching. It's just, for me, what makes climbing so incredible. And after seven years of climbing and taking people out on crag days and meets and watching people climb in the gym, it just never goes away and it can't not bring a smile to your face. Um, so for me, that is what climbing is all about and why I will keep taking people out and being there to be like whoever wants to <laughs> and just, yeah, keep the sport alive, I think. Hey Sandspace, I'm Johnny Nates, and just a little bit of background information about me. I am primarily a boulderer, I've been climbing for about two and a half years, and I climb around the 6C slash 7A level. Today I wanted to share the story of my project. So back in early September, my friend Todd showed me this awesome 7B boulder problem. It looks super fun, really powerful and technical. It's pretty much everything I wanted in a boulder. So a bit of background information for some of the listeners. The problem was in the wave cave at City Rock Johannesburg. 
So it's a pretty overhung problem and it probably consisted of about 15 to 20 moves. So not quite the three moves and you're done that uh, most boulders get the reputation for. I knew this was way harder than anything I've ever done. But I thought maybe there was a slim chance that I'd be able to do it. Regardless, it was worth a try. And as Zenspace says, failure is part of the fun. And oh boy, was I in for a lot of failure. For the next two and a half months, I was obsessed with this problem. Constantly working on it. Spending weeks at a time just trying to figure out the beta for a single move. In fact, the first crux took me around a month just to figure it out. I was analyzing video clips of me climbing just to figure out the slightest micro beta that would help me send this. But you know what? The amazing thing is, the moves that felt absolutely impossible at first starting started to feel like second nature to me dare i even say easy who would have thought that repetition and good beta can make a difference finishing this climb started to look like reality instead of a pipe dream unfortunately time was not on my side the reset of the wave cave was fast approaching Soon I only had one week left to complete the problem. I was super close. I'd done all the moves in isolation. I was just struggling with doing the final crux move from the start. That final week, I squeezed in as many attempts as my body would let me. Then it came down to the final day. The reset was tomorrow. It was now or never. 20 minutes before the gym closed, I gave my all, made it to the final crux move, and I failed. I fell to the ground. I was so overcome with emotion, I burst out crying right there on the gym floor. I may have cried in the bathroom and in the car on the way home. Maybe cried myself to sleep. Two and a half months of really hard work and it led to this devastating failure. So, the story isn't exactly a happy ending, but there's one thing for sure. This problem made me a better climber. It shined a light on my weaknesses, both physical and mental. Looking back, I think my overwhelming fear of not completing this problem is one of the main reasons why I failed in the first place. During my final attempt on the final crux, I wasn't thinking, I can do this, I've done this move before, I'm almost there, it's so close. No, 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 it wasn't that simple. What I was actually thinking is, what if I fail here? I'm not sure I can do this move. The gym closes really soon. I'm not going to get another chance to do this. I'm so tired. Yeah, so clearly mental fortitude is something I have to work on. It is truly sad that I wasn't able to send my project. 
but I know 7B is within my reach now. It will just have to wait a little bit longer. Climbing is a beautiful sport, and failure is just unfortunately a part of the package. I'm Johnny Nates. Thanks for listening to my story. Hey, did you know that supporting the Sense Base on Patreon is like bouldering? Just three moves and you're done. Here's the beta. Step one, go to patreon.com and search for the Sense Base. Step two, choose from one of four membership levels, each with their own exclusive benefits and content. Step three, complete the sign up and boom, just like that, you supported your local climbing podcast. Thank you for spotting us. I'm Marni. Um, I've been climbing for about three years, a little bit more than three years now. So this is uh, my submission of story number three. Um, so this one is also with Minka. Um, we decided to do some trad. Um, Minka has not, up until that point, has not led an entire multi-pitch uh, trad climb. And the idea was to do Hawk's Eye. Um, from what I understand, she had climbed it before, but she only followed up it. She didn't lead it. Um, yeah, so this was then, uh, we decided to make a weekend out of it. So we came to Apatonkwani, entered through Ascari. Um, the plan was to camp here for the night. Once again, I'm saying here because I'm actually sitting on the one of the stone chairs in the campsite as I am recording this. Um, yeah, so we decided to come here, do Hawk's Eye, sleep here for the night. Then Sunday there was an MCSA meet led by Benny and Scott again at Fountain Gully, which is um, like one property to the other side. Um, so not super far. Um, yeah, so... Got to the campsite. Um, I must say, this was then was the first time. Well, it was it was the second time I came to Apatonkwani. The first time was with um, Clearfest this year. Um, yeah, second hikes in is definitely better. Um, yeah, it's just you know where you're going and you know how far it is approximately. So it's just, it's easier. It's it's more lacquer. So yeah, the icon wasn't super hectic. Um, yeah. Got to the campsite. Um, 
met some other people here um, in Tyrone and Garth. Is that the guy's name? Um, yeah, Tyrone climbs at City Rock, but not lead. Or, I, I think actually he does do lead. I don't think he does. No, he doesn't do trad day. Um, yeah, so they were just here for a weekend of camping and being in the cliff, which is also quite cool. Um, yeah, so met them here, got in, got settled. I uh, borrowed a um, hammock tent thing from Swart. Um, thanks, Swart. Uh, it was epic. It, it worked very lucky. Um, yeah, got our camping arrangements set up and everything. Uh, went down to like the, the closer pools and stuff where you can swim a bit and get water and, and so on and just uh, got ourselves into the cliff mindset got ourselves into the mood um, yeah, a bit rustiger word um, yeah, then after just, just before we got too lazy told Minka, okay, now is the time we need to Go do Hawks Eye now, otherwise it's not gonna happen. Um, yeah, it's 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 now or never. Otherwise, we're gonna be too lazy and not want to do it. In anyways, now we come back to camp, get all the gear, and um, Goth and Tyrone. Um, I feel like there was another person, I can't remember, but in any ways. So they say they want to go to the um, help help pools to like jump off and in and have a fun time and everything. Um, and we're like, yeah, we keen, um, we're just going to do Hawk's Eye quickly. Um, then we'll meet you down there. Um, yeah, they stuck around at the camp. Um, yeah, we, we went down. We told them they should go down when they feel like it. We'll probably be like two, maybe three hours. Then we'll be done. <laughs> um, this was, ooh, timelines, I can't remember exactly, but I think this was around like 10 or 11 in the morning. Um, yeah, went down. Got to the base of the climb, uh, racked up, I took the ropes, I scrambled up the first section to like the belay ledge, started flaking the ropes, ropes were like almost done flaked, um, Minka was all racked up, and then she tells me, Marni, I forgot my shoes at the camp. Um, I actually honestly misunderstood and I thought you forgot them at home. Um, but in any ways, we were all racked up and ready to go. So after a little bit of thinking, um, I asked her what her shoe size is. Um, it was not my shoe size but nonetheless I told the Minka we are here now and we are ready 
So take my shoes if you want to. Use my shoes and yeah, we can do the climb. I'll follow up barefoot. Um, yeah, because orcs, orcs are like, I think it's a 13 or a 14 or something like that. Um, yeah, so within my capabilities. Um, yeah, so that is what we did. Um, Minka came up, put on my shoes, and started leading Hawkseye. Um, it was a fight, it was a battle. Um, I think from what I could see and what I could uh, um, hear and, and my point of view, it, it, was, it was type two fun, um, where you know, she, she struggled up it, but in the end she seemed very happy. Um, I've, I've got a nice photo of her at, a, um, at her belay station with a big smile on her face. Um, yeah, so I think in the end, uh, the, sense, the sense of accomplishment and uh, yeah, realizing what she just did was actually fun. In any ways, um, it took quite some time though. It, it was, um, but that's trad. <laughs> um, what we thought was two or three hours um, I think we were busy on the second pitch. I think Minka was busy setting up the, the second anchor when I heard Tyrone and Garth and them uh, at the bottom looking up at us, um, talking and everything, and then you know, wanting to go to help out pools, but we were like halfway. <laughs> um, yeah, so then I've followed up Hawk's Eye on my bare feet. Um, it's pretty chill. Um, most of the climbing is like steps and ledges and 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 so, so it's it's um, quite comfortable. And I was following up, so it's like it's it's a top rope. It's it's not leading on don't know if I'll lead it barefoot. <laughs> um, yeah, but following, it was fine. Um, yeah, uh, there was a section, um, I think it's at the top of the second pitch or like the start of the third, there's like a craxy section where you have to like press a bit and stem a bit and there's this tiny left foot that you need to use and my left big toe was still slightly injured from a previous activity and I had to like crimp down on my left big toe on this like tiny hold um, I think that was that was slightly scary and like the closest I came to falling off but pushed through and yeah, got through it, got to the top. Um, going through the hawk's eye, it's also quite interesting. Um, yeah, with all the hiking and climbing and everything like that, um, my hips are normally quite flexible and open, but hiking and stuff like that makes them quite tight. So getting that leg up and through the hawk's eye was uh, a bit of a challenge, but 
managed it. Um, yeah, got down, um, got back to the camp. And I think if I remember correctly, uh, they said we were out for like six or seven hours that day. Um, so yeah, a lacquer day of climbing. Luckily, when we came out in the dark, it was to a campsite, just like yeah, a couple hundred meters from the climb. Um, so there was no rush at all. Um, yeah, then uh, the dull camping thing, uh, made food, ate, slept. Next morning, the plan was to hike out at six because um, I can't remember exactly but I think we had to be at the meet at like eight or something and at this time we also didn't really know um, how far it was it was quite convenient that it turned out to be I think it's like two or three k's from from Ascari entrance um, and also a side note, uh, Dylan uh, was going to hike out with us um, because he had like other group of people here um, showing them the cliffs. Um, but same the guy, he had a busy weekend. I just saw him running up and down the cliff the whole weekend. Um, yeah, so so he said no, he's not he's not coming to the meet. Um, but he, he suggested that we leave at half past five already. So we had like a rough idea of <coughs> how long it, it, it should take us or, yeah. In any ways, uh, six turned into half past six. Um, then, yeah, we hiked out about half past six. Uh, also quite a pleasant hike. Um, I think it's because my reference is when we hiked out at Kleurfest, it was like in the heat of day. Um, well, in and out. In, I think it was just quite hot. It was still in the morning, but it was super hot. And I didn't know how far it was. When we hiked out, I think, I can't remember. I think it was like at two or three in the afternoon. Um, so it's, I mean, not 12 or one, but it's still it's quite hot. Um, so that's my reference. Walking out at half past six in the morning, is quite pleasant because then it's not super hot it's quite lacquer quite chill um yeah got to the car um and drove to fountain gully um which we discovered was like the farm next door um basically <coughs> um yeah got there um Everyone was standing outside. Um, Benny was running a little bit late. Um, I think it was in part due to us as well because we had underestimated water situations and Fountain Gully doesn't have water. So we had to ask Benny and them to, if they can bring us some water as well and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> uh, stood outside there, chatted to the people a bit. Um, yeah, 
Benigote. Um, we uh, went in. Everyone started getting their stuff ready, um, talking about plans and checking the the maps and things and stuff and everything and yeah, doing what you do at a a, a meet before the yeah yeah before the meet. Um, and then we all gathered around and yeah, Benny Benny does this cool thing where you stand in a circle and everyone introduces themselves and like says something about themselves um, and it's cool for the moment but I've got a very bad memory so honestly um, I don't really remember the names of the people that were there um, I know Sardal but um, I've seen him a couple of times so I know who Sardal is um, yeah so then the plan for the day was that um, myself and Minka and Scott and Mal go to a um, a section. Um, the route that Benny suggested was for for myself and Minka was called Grit. Um, it is a seventeen, um, and it it's it it starts up this like a um, little bit of a. Um, like this bulge with like a crack it's not a very thick crack it's like a little finger crack type thing you can go up pretty decent placements there then it goes into this like open book we have to do quite a bit of stemming um, feet aren't super at all um, then you get to the section so this is the cracks where it's like your left hand gets this bomber like finger lock in. Your left foot needs to go pretty high onto your small left foot. Um, and then your right hand can go into this like, it's like a pinch, but your hand goes into the crack. So it almost works like a jag. And yeah, so it's, it's a very, actually very nice hand holds. But the problem is, as I said, my left toe was uh, a bit injured. Um, so that small left foot was just not ideal for me. Um, anyways, uh, started climbing up. Um, went okay, went okay. Now the thing about Fountain Gully is what the, the main difference for me compared to the Kloof is the Kloof, if there's like a crack in the wall, it's this smooth, solid, crack yeah the sides are, are pretty 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 smooth we found in Gali well at least grit the route that I did was this like bumpy textured rock on the inside of the cracks so all of the placements aren't like it's it's like decent but it, it just feels yeah not not as solid as I'm used to um yeah, so I had one or two moments where I'm like at the limit and I'm just placing gear, get it in, get it clipped in, and then this has to hold now. <laughs> um, yeah, the gear was uh, 
uh, yeah, ended up pretty solid. Um, yeah, so I, I went on. I got to the crux of the route. And I had placed a... I think it was a number three dragonfly. It's like a yellow gold one. Placed that in the crack of the cracks and uh, it was like just below my waist. Um, placed for direction of pull that goes down as it should. But the mistake that I made was I didn't extend it. Um, yeah, so it was yeah, it, it, it could walk a bit, but I didn't realize this. So I, I was in the cracks and I decided, okay, I just need to like go for it now, get it, get it over with, get through it. Um, cause I'm just, yeah, going to get more tired and tired and tired the more I hang around here. Um, so I went, stood up on the left day. Um, I can't exactly remember what I was reaching for with my left hand, um, but it ended up not being a good hold and my left hand slipped. As my left hand slipped, my left foot also popped off um, and the right foot is just like pressing against the, smearing against the uh, open book on the right. So it's like stemming, so there's nothing it can stand on. So if the left foot pops off, yeah, I came off and now the problem is because you know, I was quite close to my cam and I didn't fall downwards, I fell like backwards. And when I fell backwards, it rotated the cam and I was falling back, cam rotated and it just popped out of the wall. Um, it's a sound that I cannot describe. Um, all I can say, it's quite scary. And then when you're falling and you see your cam like helicoptering up the the rope um, coming towards you, um, your mind definitely tells you that shouldn't be there. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was also it was it was my first like actual trad fall. And I'm very bad with meters, so I'm not gonna say how many meters I fell, but it was a couple. <laughs> um, I fell back and down, and I did like a proper scorpion at the bottom. Um, felt like my heels are gonna hit my helmet. Um, and uh, yeah, luckily, my next piece caught me. Um, Minka also, did like an epic textbook catch. She took up the slack and like, when I was looking down, she was sitting on the ground. She like, yeah, she took up as much as she could. I think if she, if she didn't do that, I might have actually decked. Um, yeah, so thanks Minka. Um, yeah, then I was uh, in my harness on the rope for like, a minute or two, just uh, pulling myself towards myself. Um, realized, although the one cam popped out, the rest of the system worked as it should have. It caught me. Um, I'm alive. I didn't have 
a bump or a scratch or a bruise or anything. I was 100% okay. Um, so I then decided I'm not going to be lower down. I need to get back on the wall, um, face the fear before it becomes a big fear. Um, yeah, before it, before it has time to like settle in. Um, yeah, so then I got back on the wall. I must say I don't count it as I finished the route because I pulled on gear and got to the top by any means necessary. Um, yeah, nonetheless, got to the top of the first pitch. Um, yeah, now I had to set up an anchor so that Minka can follow up and join me on the ledge. Um, now this is also, it was, it was a, a very nice belay ledge. It had a lot of space. There was this big crack um, going up in the corner um, where you could place gear. Um, yeah, so I was at the top and I took a, I think it was a number 12 black diamond uh, nut. I put it in the crack, um, like a little bit above my head height, got it in there. And I was setting the nut and I like pulled once, pulled twice. And the third pull, I wanted to like properly set it. So I like tugged quite hard and then with that hard tug nut popped out and hit me on my right eyebrow um yeah splitting open my eyebrow a bit um it wasn't like super sore or anything but I could feel I had yeah hit myself in the head um I touched my eyebrow and I saw there's like a little bit of blood on my fingers. I was like, oh, that's not good, but it's probably fine. I like smeared with the back of my hand and there was like a little bit more blood. And then I just smeared with all my fingers and then there was a lot of blood like that. Red, red blood. Um, yeah, and I'll keep in mind... I don't have an anchor. <laughs> that was that was the first piece of my anchor um, that popped out and hit me in the head. Um, so I was honestly quite panicked. I was, oh, this is not good. I'm bleeding because now it's also running down my eyes and running down my face. And like when I look down, it like drips on my hands, on my pants, and on the floor. Um, and uh, yeah, I realized this is a situation that there's nothing I can do now other than be calm, build an anchor, get yourself to the bottom of the climb. Um, so Scott was on the climb next to us. Um, I think he was also at the top of his first pitch. So I just leaned leaned out a bit. <laughs> said, Scott, 
Um, I have a bit of a situation. I was setting up my anchors. I hit myself in the face. I'm bleeding a bit, but for the moment, I'm fine. Um, I was like, okay, cool, Marnie. Keep me updated if anything changes. Um, yeah. Um, so then, with uh, blood in the face and the eye, and yeah, it, I mean, I can't see myself in the mirror, and I just feel it running. So it's, it was quite distressing, I think is the word. Um, yeah, f- fiddled with the anchor. Um, ended up getting like two solid pieces in and I decided okay now it's time like um, anchor normally I think should have like three pieces is a rule of thumb for me but I had two solid ones and it was a situation where I needed to go down now Um, yeah so I clipped myself into the two pieces Um, yeah got lowered down and got to the bottom uh yeah and then minka used some of the the water we had washed the blood off my face and in true climber fashion we uh patched it up with a uh with with climbing tape and yeah i was fine i uh definitely in that moment didn't want to climb, do the climb again. Um, but I top rope belayed Minka up it because the anchor was there. And then, yeah, I think Scott and Mal also, yeah, because the, the anchor had to be retrieved. So Scott offered to, to go up after me or after, after Minka. And they went up and retrieved the the anchor and the gear and and stuff like that. Um, Yeah, many lessons learned in that one. Um, One is like extend your drawers. Just do it or extend your cams. um, So they don't rotate and walk and stuff like that. Um, And then when seating a nut, Especially like, I mean, you're wearing a helmet, so just face down. <laughs> so when it comes out, it hits you in the helmet, not in the face. Um, yeah, but uh, it's, it's, it's learning experiences. It, it was still one of the, the most fun weekends I've had in the Kluif. Um Even with all the, the mishaps and, uh, and, and, and things. But I mean... That's what uh, makes it an adventure. It separates it from a normal weekend out and uh, an epic adventure. Um, yeah, those are my stories. Thank you for listening. If you're listening to this, you're one of hundreds of South African outdoor enthusiasts supporting this unique local podcast. But did you know we can support you too? The Sense Base offers climbing brands and peripheries the chance to connect with our audience using funky, engaging adverts, kind of like this one. We won't just read out your advert copy and consider our job done. We will work our magic to help your brand stand out. 
You can choose from one of our packages to create a package that suits your brand and your budget. When you advertise with us, you reach the ears of climbers all over South Africa, but you also help keep us going so that we can keep making new episodes. As far as we know, we are the only South African climbing podcast and we have big dreams. Help us to achieve them. Visit thesendspace.org forward slash get involved to find out more. I have a massive fear of heights. My fiance loves to joke that it's a good, I'm as short as I am. Otherwise, I would always just faint because I'd be afraid of my own height. I climbed once on a family holiday when I was in my early teens and I really loved it, but never really got into climbing. Sometime after that, my fear of heights developed and just seeing someone else being up high somewhere makes me nauseous. I literally run away. I am 29 now and for the last few years I've been surrounded by climbers and I've seen the transformation climbing has had on them. It's made me really envious of their mental and physical strength. So in November this year, I overcame my fear of heights, sort of. <laughs> Amy was kind enough to belay my scared ass up a kiddie's wall. While I was on the wall, I couldn't look down. I just concentrated on getting myself to the top. I just kept my eyes on the wall. I didn't follow any specific route or cared about technique at all. I just wanted to get to the top and back down safely. And when I got back down, my entire body was shaking from exhaustion and stress, but I felt so powerful. I'm definitely still afraid of heights, but I proved to myself that I can do something I'm deadly afraid of and I'm not letting my fear keep me from doing things I enjoy anymore. I haven't had the guts to take on one of the proper walls yet, but it's just a matter of time. Lately, I've been climbing with the auto belay. I climb a few meters and then drop down. I climb a bit higher and drop down again. And slowly but surely, I'm building up my confidence, both in the auto belay and in heights. Right now, my goal is just to climb. I don't care how I look or if I only climb five meters. That's more than I've ever had the guts to do. So for that reason, I am incredibly proud that I've taken on this challenge. And I'm very excited to see where it's going to take me. I have to add that I would never have been able to do this if it wasn't for the awesome people who encouraged me to do it. Hello, Spaces. My name is Anthony and... Uh... I'd consider myself a fairly noobish climber, or a gumpy, as you guys like to call it. Um, so I've been climbing on and off for the last four years. When I say on and off, I mean about once every four months at Bourbon. That's about that's about the amount of climbing I do. Um, but yeah, I think climbing is quite a special sport, actually. When I do get to it, I, th- it's, I thoroughly enjoy it. I think it's one of the few things where it's a sport that's not just physically challenging but really mentally challenging like after sending a well for me a 16 or 17 it's like your brain is just as fried as your body and I think that's quite a surreal experience that you don't really get from any other sort of sport um, where you get sort of the adrenaline as well as the mental thought behind it so my first climb was about four years ago at Bourbon um, I got invited by a friend who's like, do you want to go rock climbing? I'd never done it before in my life. And we arrived in Bourbon and it was pouring with rain, absolutely pouring with rain. And I remember arriving there thinking to myself, why am I here? Why am I in this miserable weather? Um, and yeah, anyway, then the next day the sun just was out and it was absolutely stunning weather. And I remember going and learning how to climb on Iowa Baboon. I think it's a 11 or a 12, I'm not quite sure. Uh, basically, the most basic way to climb. And I was with my mate who also wasn't, hadn't climbed for years. And we kind of just, yeah, he taught, taught me how to do a bit of lead and taught me how to belay. And then we just started climbing. 
and you know it's it's, it's always been a special activity I do every now and again um I think yeah there's this two aspects to it again it's the physicality of it but also the incredible should I say um vibe you get from the climbing community like there's nothing more special than struggling up a climb and you've got 12 13 I don't know 20 random people in the crag just cheering you on um, when you're struggling and literally they are experiencing your whole climb with you and I know when I'm watching people climb as well it's like that same sort of thing where you just you immersed in every move that person's making and almost like half the fun of climbing is watching other people climb and watching other people achieve and yeah I think it's something really special so yeah I think if I live nearer to a climbing wall or nearer to a climbing place should I say I it is definitely something I would love to do a bit more but until I see any of you in the gym or see in the crag until next time and yeah keep on climbing and keep on having fun hey yo thanks for listening to this podcast please remember to rate follow subscribe review (laughs) or really whatever action your podcasting platform allows this helps other people find the show and grow the community of senders I quickly want to tell you guys about our amazing t-shirts. The ladies cut fits my curves so lekker. I spent the longest time trying my best to hide my body and its curvatures. This ladies cut with its feminine shape and detailed sleeve feels like an act of gratitude for my body. Thanking my tum tum for all its digestive work. Thanking my lungs for that audible breath pushing me through the crux and thanking my arms for pulling when they're already pumped. And I love, love that it's black. I can try really, really hard, as hard as I want, without worrying about that try-hard juice, otherwise known as sweat. Those are my favorite things about our shirts. But gents, don't even fret. We have a men's cut available and is selling out fast. My fellow Sendspace co-founder, Amy, loves that they're a great conversation starter in her new gym in the Netherlands. And Liz, from the Ugandan team and episode 11, says the same. My heart explodes thinking of these shirts, helping strangers become friends, or fear become expression. So, ladies and gents, these shirts are available for purchase at Friends and Allies at 10 Nile Street, Stratton Park, or directly from us. Just email us at send.space.climbing at gmail.com and get your own conversation starter. Hi, Sandspace listeners. I'm Brigitte Pagado, and I'm going to talk to you about traveling, climbing adventures during a pandemic and hope to make it into our community episode. Shout out to everyone listening. This is going to be a story about how planning an adventure to Spitzkoppe during a pandemic lockdown level three actually happened. So as all adventures, there's always a group of people that are all very interested and super keen, yet not everyone is always as committed. And so one of the things that narrows down is the people that actually end up going and planning such a trip has cost implications, but also logistics. So just to give you some of the logistics in terms of the location of the Spitzkoppe, it is um, in Namibia, which is um, still in the southern Africa mountain range. It's a specifically 
pointed dome, also known as the Matterhorn, in the middle of the Namib Desert, with a peak um, highest cropping out of 1,728 meters. Now, let me not bore you, but basically, it's in the middle of the desert. It's an exciting place because it's granite slab climbing. And more importantly, some of the things to keep in mind, it's about 17 hours driving out of Cape Town. The fact that it's in a desert means that there is scarcity of water, in particular drinking water. So consider that, yes, there are showers. You might... Um, get to even shower under the open skies on base camp. But considering that Spitzkoppe has um, two sites for the showering, the best place to go camping, though, is further away from those showers. Um, to Let's talk a little bit about how you'd logistically plan a trip like this. Well, <laughs> I don't want to bore you, but... The fact is you also are going to be away from a f food supermarket kind of hypermarket or anything that's a general store that has fresh foods and comprehensively provides you with food. So planning a 10-day trip would entail you planning your food accordingly. You can go to the nearest town, but it's at least two hours drive away as it's located between Vintuk and Swakopmund. Now, climbing gear that you also need to plan is a whole other element. Now, if you had to plan such a trip, that's all the logistics excluding any of the climbing. I'm going to describe a little bit more about the climbing generally. Um, so Spitzkoppe is quite remote. Therefore, it doesn't see extensive traffic of climbers. Something to bear in mind is that it um, has a guidebook written by Tony Lawrence. It, however, very clearly states in the book that um, due to its remoteness, some of the routes have not seen more than one or two ascents, and therefore the route descriptions could have errors. And it's really important to use one's own discretion when attempting such a route. And of course, um, more importantly, not all of the routes are bolted. Therefore, not um, all are protected um, naturally either. So some of them are mixed. Some are completely natural. And due to the granite erosion, the mountains also change. So considering that Spitzkoppe has roots that are bolted, mixed and purely natural, it's really a place for any climbers who love trying different kinds of climbing, um, specifically trad climbing, I would say is a must if you are a trad climber to try granite climbing. I can, however, provide information that it is extensively exhilarating with um, long runouts, anything ranging from 6 to 10 meters. Now, before I get to any more details of such a trip, I would like to tell you a little story. <laughs> it's really <laughs> was quite a 
a perseverance trip because traveling during a pandemic is truly going to require perseverance and persistence of perseverance. So early in 2021, Andy, myself, Celine, um, and a few other people who are all very keen for this trip started planning this um, Spitzkopper journey in July. We would take a 10-day um, period of break and travel by car to Namibia, considering that climbing gear is quite heavy and flying is um, almost the same price because it's an international flight as we'd be crossing borders. And yeah, so besides the logistics of planning such a trip, um, people change plans and closer to the time people make other plans or things come up, friends and family get married or lockdowns happen or waves happen. Anyway, so during the early parts of 2021, every time the waves and COVID-related news happened, the chances of this trip actually happening just became ever so slim. And as I said before, it really just required perseverance. So Andy, myself, um, and Celine, and um, Jacques and Amy were actually the only people that ended up making it to the Spitzkoppe. To tell you a little bit more about the stories, we had four people planned in our car, which was Andy, myself, Celine, and um, Jacques and Amy were going to travel in their own vehicle and meet us there, or they were going to head there before us. Now, as I've described... <laughs> Traveling on a trip to the Spitzkoppe is by its own an adventure. Now, adding all the travel bans and the restrictions that have been happening has been a whole nother new level of adventure. So we knew that um, we were going to need PCR tests, which we organized, and crossing the border that having the PCR test and having sufficient resources would be important, possibly getting um, isolated or quarantined, as they like to say it at the border, was kind of the worst case scenario. We were hoping that that wouldn't happen. And work-wise, that would have definitely been a disaster for any of us. Uh, Celine still studying, Andy working full-time, myself working full-time. So yeah, wouldn't have been ideal. But yeah, let me say that um, the important thing is the perseverance. Okay, so in terms of the story, <laughs> how this actually came about, um, I'd like to give you a little bit more insights on the pandemic side of the travel, the perseverance side of the travel. So the most challenging part of this adventure wasn't leaving at 4 a.m. It wasn't driving 17 hours. It was, quite frankly, the stress levels of traveling during a pandemic and the risk of quarantining or possible high costs of um, 
quarantine and uh, any other restrictions that could be imposed at very short notice. So, <laughs> to put it even more bluntly, <laughs> the craziest part of the trip was the beginning. Firstly, we had a last minute join from someone, um, which was fantastic. We were excited. Um, to leave at 4 a.m. from Cape Town. And um, when we left Cape Town in the Bucky, we simply had a full tank and a full Bucky filled with climbing gear, camping gear, water primarily. So we managed to budget about four to five liters on average per person per day day which worked out to just under a hundred liters uh was it no we worked it out to 150 liters correct anyways the point is we took our own water drinking water in particular to the spitz and all our camping gear climbing gear and just a whole bunch of desire for adventure so we set off and one of the people in the car wasn't feeling so well and that was one of the first quite highly stressful situations of why are you not feeling well? Did you have contact with anyone? Mm, well, if you did, anyways, the worst or would I say the best part is we were all pretty confident that it wouldn't be the Rona. And we all tested negative for PCR tests. So we were simply concerned um, that the person was not feeling well for possibly food poisoning, which is always unpleasant. And carried on with our trip. And with all this distraction of stopping quite often on the side of the road, at some point um, we were swapping drivers. Andy had taken over and... As he wasn't used to the car, didn't check the petrol gauge and ran out of fuel. Now, besides running out of fuel and being stuck on the side of the road with someone not feeling well, we were very lucky to have a truck driver stop and lift both Andy and Celine to the nearest little village that had fuel. And if it wasn't even more precious, the police themselves offered a lift in return to us at some lightning speed. So Andy and Celine were gone and back in less than 40 minutes, which was utterly impressive. Now, when we arrived to Spitzkoppe, our friend was unfortunately not feeling so well and also having concerns about traveling across the border with medical cover and any other possible risks in the state this person was feeling. Now, as I said before, the biggest challenge and the biggest importance of the story is perseverance. And we really wanted to persevere on this journey so much that we very kindly and best arranged possible trip back for the person who wasn't feeling well and obviously spoke to family and checked with everything that this person would get home safe. So while we had an addition, this addition didn't make it across the border with us. And this was not uh, 
easy decision, but it was one that needed to be made, especially considering all the efforts of planning, logistics, and the readiness we had to cross the border. Now, from Springbok, we were still one and a half hours across the border, so considering all the delays from driving at 4 a.m., we only just got to the border at around 2, 2 p.m., and at the border, we obviously had to show our PCR tests and also were ready to consider any um, rapid tests we would need to do. And hopefully they would be negative, as we have been really careful. And so they were, and we crossed the border. Now, it was during the stage where lockdown in Namibia became quite strict they were restricting movements between the regions and this is why um, we also had concerns what would be the state of the situation and could we still travel to Spitzkoppe and fortunately as we were tourists technically um, I myself Brigitte am from Namibia so I wouldn't technically be a tourist but I actually was a tourist because I was entering Namibia um, again after a very long time and so they had to issue us a travel um, permit which believe it or not they actually forgot to give to us so as we left the border we didn't realize this we arrived in the nearest regional um, city and obviously were asked for it and found ourselves a little bit um in a pickle with the authorities and they were very kind though because they realized how short notice a lot of these situations were and I must say very very friendly authorities in Namibia told us to please um, head to the nearest police station and declare that we are tourists and therefore um, get a reissue of a um, tourist um, permit. This was particularly helpful that we didn't have to drive back to the border. Now, additionally, we also had curfew to consider. So in the nearest city, we had Mariental was a place we decided to camp so that we wouldn't break curfew hours. We definitely were going to stick to the rules and the law. Um, from Mariental, the next day, we left for Spitzkoppe. This was a Sunday. 2nd of July, we arrived midday, we drove from and through Vintuk and we weren't actually allowed to stay in any of the major cities. Um, once we got through Vintuk, we had two hours drive to Usakos and from Usakos we got off on a right-hand turn off onto a gravel road in which you could see the beautiful peak dome of the Spitz, the Matterhorn of Namibia. The epicness of Spitzkoppe is really because of its peak, but also because of its empty surroundings. The Namib Desert is quite a phenomenal space. Now, this whole trip was particularly exciting once we had actually arrived at base camp. When we arrived at base camp, we um, got our MCSA discounted 
rates to camp and got to the westerly side of the Spitzkoppe and took one of the campsites there in which we found nice shelter, could set up a central food making area with braai and settled in. We then headed off to the Boulder Valley area to do some single pitch climbing. Yes, the boulders are as big as single pitches in Spitzkoppe and got to do a little bit of um, granite vertical climbing. So our plan for the remainder of the week was to, at the very least, um, get to the peak of Spitzkoppe as none of us had actually been to the peak and um, that apparently would require a full day of um, hiking, scrambling and climbing and in this case it would be mixed climbing. It has one or two bolts but requires mostly natural anchors. So the standard route is pretty standard. We won't be giving you too much. I won't be giving you too much of a story from that. It was definitely a full day of hiking and scrambling. And my recommendation is make sure you start very early. You have enough water and you have at least some form of route description with you to try and attempt the standard route. It is not always so straightforward, but it definitely is an adventure to be had. And it was one really worth the while. We got to the top at around 3 p.m. only and had to still descend with abseils and all the shenanigans of just enjoying the incredible views all around the Namib Desert. Another cool part of the Spitzkoppe was we decided on the day after um, the normal route to do a trad route called water sports which is a three pitch route uh, 18 20 and 20 it was by far one of my favorites because it was slab as well as laybacking and the climbing style is just so different in Spitzkoppe if, if there's anything to describe it um, in Cape Town you can go to Paul Rock and just think of the runouts to be twice as long and the protection to be twice as sketchy. And what sketchy means is you can place gear and sometimes you'll just hear the crackling of the sand as the granite just slightly disintegrates. Now, that's not always going to be the case, but when it does happen, you do have a moment of nerve and you do need to keep your wits about yourself. And... Believe it or not, you will trust your ha- your hands and fingers and toes on the tiniest little crystals with that friction and that body weight just lining over your feet correctly. If there's any advice I can give, um, definitely go to Cape Town, um, Paul area for some practice slab climbing as well as um, multi-pitching. If you've got uh, no multi-pitching experience, I would highly recommend trying some multi-pitch skills out. In fact, um, 
this is the thing I love doing the most. I love teaching and I love spending time outside. So having been a guide for a couple of years now, I really enjoy teaching people the principles and how to become competent in the skill sets climbing. And this is not to say that I focus on climbing movement, but I, at the baseline, expect technical skills to be at the forefront and then climbing movement can be the focus once you have all your technical um, knowledge down. Hence, this, hence, I do believe that Climbable, one of my new ventures, puts together my two favorite things, climbing and teaching. Yes, I teach economics for a living and I do IT support and other odd jobs. And mountain guiding, however, has been one of my favorite jobs I've done in the last couple of years. So personally, I'd say that traveling and travel climbing is one of my other favorite pastimes. But um, who knows, maybe even planning a Spitzkopper trip for 2022 will be a possibility for people to sign up and come learn how to trad climb or multi-pitch or both or even just join for the actual drive and the beauty of Namibia Spitzkopper it has to offer. So anything else I would like to add is that the Spitzkopper region also has the Pontox which are five prominent peaks right of the Spitz facing northerly and one of the routes there called to bolt or not to bolt myself and Amy got to climb it what <laughs> one of the <laughs> most interesting parts about reaching any of the Spitzkopper climbs that are multi-pitch is the scrambles sometimes you wonder how is it that people simply walked around to the baselines of the climbs because the boulders and getting through the little niches of the boulders is not all that straightforward. So considering that we hiked to the Pontok Spitz for about two hours before we got to the base of our climb to bolt or not to bolt. And the descriptions were lovely in that they were short and clear to which stances we would be reaching. In fact, to bolt or not to bolt is an 18 mixed uh, multi-pitch with eight pitches that would get you to the top of the Pontox Spitz, the highest of the Pontox. Not um, higher than the Spitz copper, but at 1,600 meters, one of the highest peaks in that mountain range. And to end off the story, I hope you enjoyed this little insights of what uh, persistence in current COVID travel times must take. It was truly an adventure. The route back, we were very lucky to not have any trouble, simply have to do a rapid test at the border and get across to South Africa, home and back to Cape Town within the 10-day period. The sunsets in Namibia are definitely some of the best parts of Namibia. 
The other thing the Spitzkopper had to offer was phenomenal views of the desert and the sunsets and sunrises were phenomenal. The air temperature and just a few other really incredible things about the Spitzkopper was the weather in winter is actually quite warm during the day, slightly cooler or cold even at night with some breeze. So if there's any time of the year you'd really want to go, it's either autumn, spring or winter. Summer is filled with summer rains, which is also beautiful, but not ideal for climbing. I hope you've enjoyed this little story and more importantly, what it takes to be going on a travel climbing trip during a pandemic in 2021 was like. I hope um, you enjoyed this little story and I hope you enjoy this community episode and chat soon, maybe on a SenseBase episode. Okay, bye. Oh, what a time it is to be alive. Please carry on sharing your stories or your creations. We love to hear them. Check out our blog for more information about the community episodes. We are definitely going to keep them coming. And now to soothe your sweet, sweet ears and to thank them for listening all the way until the end. We have a song by Benji Dorfin from the band Hiding Bigfoot. Check them out on social media. Thanks, Benji. Benji.